And we're continuing on our series, uh, which we started last week called In God We Trust, looking at uh, how God views our money, how God views our wealth, our possessions, uh, looking at this idea of stewardship and how we steward uh, what we have well. Now, it could seem to you as we're beginning to talk about this is what does this young, handsome-looking 21-year-old pastor (laughs) know anything about money whatsoever? One, I will tell you, I'm 29. Two, I would say, I don't know that much about all of, uh, you know, money management and wealth accumulation and all this stuff, but... I believe that if we can enter into this together with this perspective of, hey, we're here uh, in conversation regarding this very topic, and uh, we we can learn from one another, and we can all dive into what does Jesus say and teach about this, I believe that we can walk away with a very healthy perspective. And I've uh, sought advice from uh, very wise people and beyond my years, and believe that God's given me a very uh, good perspective of this topic for this morning. So I would encourage you, let's lean in together. Let's uh, join together in this conversation. Second thing you might be thinking is, well, anytime a church talks about money and talks about wealth and possessions, it probably means that they're in need of wealth, money, and possessions, and they probably just want to squeeze us a little bit more. And I just want to say right off the bat, that is not the case whatsoever. Actually, as a church, we're doing really, really good. And we're actually 12% above uh, our budget currently. And uh, our expenses, what we projected, have actually been a little bit lower than what we thought. And our income has actually been a little bit higher than we thought. So we're able just to do more good things in our church and in our community because we have some really really generous people in our church who understand uh, what we've been talking about, that uh, it's part of our spiritual worship. And so I want you to know that we are not talking about money because we need money from you. And um, we believe that this is a very important uh, subject that we can talk about. And it's hard for me too, okay? So I know it can be difficult to talk about money in church and Here's the pastor talking about money, but I want, want you to know, want you to know, it's hard for me as well. And just because I'm the one up here does not mean by any stretch of the imagination, I got this figured out and I want to teach you all a lesson, okay? So it's equally as hard for me to look at some of the passages that make us uncomfortable in scripture. I get just as uncomfortable as you as well. So let's do this together. Let's talk more about this together. Sound good? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Have you ever had, as we begin this topic, have you ever had an aha moment? You know, like maybe it was when you were a little kid starting in like math class, right? Whether it be like addition or subtraction or long division, right? Who knows what the remainder is anymore, right? No one knows how to do that stuff. Or in pre-algebra or algebra, whatever it was, did you ever have an aha moment where like you had no idea what you were doing? And whether it was because a teacher or a professor, professor or maybe a classmate or a tutor, they were helping you with this math problem and this equation, whatever it may be, and then it just like clicked. Like you finally just got it. Like I understand how to do it. 
and you just knew how to do multiplication finally, and you knew how to do addition, or you knew how to do uh, algebra, or whatever it may be, you had an aha moment. Maybe you've had an aha moment of like a really bad joke. You've ever had an aha moment where someone told a joke and you had no idea what they were talking about? You're driving in the car later and you're like, aha, I get it, it was actually kind of funny, you know? You ever had that moment or maybe a moment with a friend or a spouse or, you know, something like in a relationship where you just didn't understand why they were acting a certain way or why they were mad or why they were so happy. And then it just dawned on you like, oh my gosh, that's why. My beard getting in the way? (laughs) That's why. The aha moment. These are very important moments in our life because they really clarify Stuff, don't, doesn't it? And so what I believe is that God wants us to see the way, uh, see the world the way he sees the world. And that if we see the way, see the world the way he sees the world, it's almost like this aha moment, like life becomes more clear. Like, oh, my purpose, I I get it, I understand. Those are very important moments for us. And uh, this is what Stephen Covey would say. He's the author of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says, we see the world not as it is, but as we are, or as we are conditioned to see it. And so we, we see the world as not as it actually is, but re- mainly the way that we've been conditioned, we've been taught over our life to see it. And what this can do is we actually been hold us back in our views of what actually it is because we've been conditioned a certain way. And if we have those aha moments, the perspective change, well, then all of a sudden life, a job, a relationship, whatever it may be, becomes much more clear. And it's like, I get it. And I believe God continually wants us to have those aha moments. So central to Christianity is this idea called the renewing of the mind. Paul talks about this, so that we want to renew our mind and, and be made fresh. The way the world is and the way God created it and the way he sees the world. And then it all of a sudden makes more sense. When we see the world as God sees it, we're much more inclined to do as God says. That if we can have these aha moments, like I get what God's talking about, or I understand life differently, well, well then we're far more inclined to actually behave and live a life out the way that God says we, sh- we should. And so God wants us all to see the world the way he sees it. And he really helped us out with this by sending his son, Jesus. And as Jesus lived and taught, and as we understand the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, this is the closest we will really ever get to understand how God sees the world through the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so Jesus speaks much on money, and he speaks much on wealth and possessions. And so it would be in our best interest usually to understand how God sees the world through Jesus. So one day, here's Jesus. He's teaching, and he sees all these various people. And there was always just 
mixes of people coming to hear from him. So he would see, you know, carpenters, and he would see, uh, he would see tax collectors, and he would see sinners, and he would see religious people, and he'd see rich, and he'd see poor, and then he would teach them these important truths of life, the way God sees the world, hoping for these, like, aha moments. And so here he is, and on this particular day, Luke records that Jesus taught this crowd of people about sin. And so he teaches them about sinners, how God views sinners. And some of you know these stories. Some of you may not, but he teaches on the, the lost sheep, that he goes after the, the one. He leaves the 99, goes after the one. He teaches on the lost coin, and he teaches on the prodigal son. And he teaches uh, about how God views sinners, right? He loves them and he chases after them, his relentless love for them. And at this very moment, the religious people are kind of like, the Pharisees are like, all right, enough with this, you know, sinner stuff. And they begin to walk away. And so as they kind of turn and they're kind of done with the whole, you know, sinner bit that Jesus has, Jesus still wants to teach these religious people something uh, very specific uh, and so he says these words, as they're kind of like, all right, Jesus, whatever. He says, well, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so here he got these religious Pharisees probably to be like, all right, we'll stand for one more, okay? We'll stand for one more bit that you have on this. And so then he begins to go on and he shares how God views money, possessions, and wealth. And imagine if you knew how God viewed money. Imagine if you knew how God viewed possessions and wealth. Maybe it could be this like aha moment of like life has a little bit more perspective now. And so he goes on to teach this. So he says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. He said, you've wasted my money and you're fired. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to put all the record books together and I want you to bring them to me and then you're done. So he, he didn't fire him on the spot. He gave him a little bit of time to kind of get all his affairs in order, uh, the owner's affairs in order, all his record books and you know, whatnot. Bring those to me, and then you're done. And so here's this manager. He had a little bit of time, and he had a little bit of opportunity to try and leverage his future, to try and figure his future out. So then here's the manager. He says, uh, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do instead. So he goes, I, I, you know, some theologians just feel like this guy was probably, he was like a, he was like a city boy, you know, like can't do any hard work. And mainly because he was probably too prideful to go from what he was doing to like hard labor. And he says, I'm too ashamed to beg, right? You sense the pride in this man. And he goes, you know, I'm not strong enough to do this. I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So when I get finally am done here, I gotta have a place to stay. I gotta figure out how I'm gonna live and someone's gotta take me into their home. 
And so he hatches this plan, and I'm going to paraphrase here just for a second, and then we'll pick up in verse 8 in Luke 16, where he hatches this plan where he goes to all the people who were in debt to his master. And he goes to them and he basically says, hey, kind of off the books, I'll change the logbooks for you. Um, how does that sound? We'll take your, whatever your debt is and we'll cut it in half. Does that sound good? People are like, whoa. So he goes to one guy and he says, how much do you owe my master? What are you in debt to him? And he goes, well, I'm in debt like a thousand jars of oil. And he goes, what if we cut that in half and we make it 500? He's like, yeah, that sounds like a great deal. He says, you know, if you ever need anything in the future, come let me know. I'll be glad to help you out. And I'm sure the manager is thinking like, oh, I'm going to come to you sooner than you think, right? And I'm going to be knocking on your door. And he goes to someone else. He says, hey, how much do you owe my master? How about we cut 20% off that? I'll just market it in the books really quick. And then he turns it into the master. And uh, so he set himself up for the future. It is at the owner's expense. So we think in this story, this guy is a cheat and a crook, right? When the master finds out what this manager did after he fired him and wanted to bring all his logbooks together, he's going to string him up like a chicken, right? Like, you just don't do that. You don't, like, continue to cheat your manager or your boss after this happens. And then when the master finds out what's going on, this is where Jesus begins to teach his view, God's view of money. This is what he says, picking up in verse 8. He said, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. I don't know about you, but I look at that and go like, how in the world would the master commend the dishonest manager for acting shrewdly? It makes zero sense. It seems like he should have, I don't know, like thrown him in jail or something. But then Jesus pulls out of this parable God's view of our money and our possessions. And let me just say really quickly, here's what Jesus is not saying, okay? Just so we can get the thought out of our mind. Jesus is not saying, cheat your boss out of his money. He's not saying, if you can open up the till at your, at your store and take a few, you know, for a rainy day and slip it in your pocket. He is not saying it's okay to cheat your boss out of what's rightfully his. But here's what he does pull uh, out of. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. Essentially what he's saying is, people of this world who believe this life is the only life. I had to look up the word shrewd too. I don't know about you, but I was like, I don't know. Do I shrewd, shrewd? I'm not exactly sure. And so I looked at the word shrewd. Essentially, this is what it means. People who are able to make a lot out of a little. They're like hustlers. They're, they're hustle for a dollar, right? They can, they can turn a little bit into a lot. That's what he's talking about when he says shrewd. And so uh, he says that people of this world who believe that this life there only is in this life. They're pretty, they're hustlers when it comes to making sure all their fares are in order. They'll make sure that they're set up, they got what they need, they enjoy their life because this is all it is. But he says, people like of the light, so Christians, they're really not that way when it comes to eternity. So he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So what he says is like this dishonest manager, he was able to hustle and bustle and make sure that after he, his affairs were done and he got fired, he got welcomed into people's homes because they liked him. He says Christians really don't take this perspective when it comes to eternity. 
Christians really don't hustle and bustle to make sure that when they go to heaven into eternity, that there are people in heaven who welcome them into their, their eternal dwellings because of how you lived your life. He's saying that there's going to be one day that when you go to heaven, God's going to be the judge, and he's going to judge us on our works here in life. And he's saying that there will be people in heaven, hopefully, because of what you did, that their souls were saved. They came to know Jesus. They, they came to be in relationship with God. And then there they are in heaven. And when you get there, they are going to be like, you are welcome in my home for what you did for me on earth. For what you did for me, like you are welcome here. But he says, this isn't really what happens. So he says, what I want you to do is I want you to use your wealth, your possessions, your money as a tool here on earth. That everything that you have, all your wealth and all your possessions and all your money, it's a tool to use in order to win friends, to gain friends for Jesus. That, that as you use what you have as a tool, Hopefully, they will be people who say yes to God, enter into relationship with him, and they're eternally saved. And then when you get in heaven, they're going to be so thankful for what you did that they're like, come on in. Thank you so much for what you have done for me. This is what Jesus is talking about. And when it comes to this world, if we think about it, we're kind of hustlers, aren't we? Be honest. We're kind of hustlers. We're shrewd in our own dealings. Um, anyone here love like Craigslist or like virtual garage sales or offer up or something? I am, okay? I, I will Craigslist anything, okay? I started a lawn care business and I sold it on Craigslist, okay? Back when I was 20. I, I found some old Pokemon cards in, the tr in this trash can once. And I looked at those and I was like, and, and I, was like I bet you I could make some money off those. I put them on Craigslist for like 30, 40 bucks, whatever, just thinking, I don't know, maybe someone wants them. Now I'm thinking like some guy's gonna you know, show up with his son who you know, wants some like Pokemon cards. And it was like two dudes like in a big old F-250 with like Carhartt vests on, like we're here for the Pokemon cards. <laughs> they grew them from like Colville, you know, like here to get the Pokemon cards. And I will do anything to sell these two guys Pokemon cards. I'm like, come on my house, guys. What do you want? Can I get you a cup of coffee? Like, what do you need? Like, we'll hustle, won't we? We'll try and turn a little bit into a lot. You know, you, people will welcome, uh, you know, friends and family into their home to try and sell them jewelry out of a catalog. And I, got, I bought you all wine and snacks. And here's, you know, sit on my couch. Just hang out and let's do this. Like, we'll hustle for this world, won't we? For, for what we think. But he said, Jesus says, most people most Christians, they do not take that mindset when they're thinking of eternity, that your home, your car, your bank accounts, everything you have is a tool, and that you can use that to be super shrewd in this life, but we can also use that so that other people will be in heaven and they will welcome you into their homes, their eternal dwellings, because of what you did on this earth. And this is what Jesus is saying. Most people will say like, you know, I hear that when you turn 30, 40, 50, whatever, you have like a midlife crisis. And it's like, well, what do I have to show for in my life? What do I have to show for? Anyone ever asked that question or thought that? Like, what do I have to show for? What do I, you know? And Jesus would say, here's the better question to ask. It's not what do I have to show for? It's who do you have to show for? 
for your life. For all the things, you, all the hard work you've done, clocking in and clocking out, parenting, working, accumulating. It's not what do I have to show for it. It's, well, who do I have to show for? Who do I have to show for for this? God views all your money and all your possessions as a tool. And many of us, we understand this. I mean, we can look around and we have this like amazing church building. And we have like some top-notch gear in here, you know, like it's really good stuff and amazing uh, ministries. And we have Serve Spokane out that we're able to just give thousands and thousands of uh, food and clothes and stuff away, thousands of pounds of food and clothes away to our community. And through our Be Rich series that we did last year or through like the $20,000 we just gave away just a few uh, weeks ago to our community. Like many of us understand this. We're like, it is not about me. That, that, that everything I have, what we learned last week, everything I have is God's. And so here I can use it. I can use my home to help build a life group. I could use my car. I could use this, you know, my wealth, my money. God used all of it as a tool. There's a guy named John Wesley, if anyone ever heard the name before. He was... He was made famous back in the 1700s, this wonderful guy. And he was famous for a lot of stuff. But one of the things he was most particularly famous for was the amount of uh, sermons he preached and how long and far he rode on his horse. That he was famous for riding miles and miles on his horse and then preaching these sermons. He rode over 250,000 miles on a horse. And he preached over 40,000 sermons, like just just a crazy, right? Just to think of what he did with a horse and, his, and, and, and that's it. And so a few years ago, we had a youth night here that a bunch of other churches were involved with. And this pastor named Levi Lusco was teaching. And so in this youth pastor's meeting downstairs before it happened, we were talking on this very subject. And so uh, we were asking him about like social media or some other stuff. I don't remember exactly what, but this is what he said. He said, with all of what we have today, he said, with all our cars, with all our airplanes and television and smartphones and all the money that we have, like he said, do not get into heaven and let John Wesley slap you across your face because you didn't use what you have. And we were all like, okay. <laughs> and so ever since I've been thinking like, I do not want this old man to slap me when I get into heaven. Like, no, don't, don't backhand me. But we want to enter, what Jesus is asking is like, kind of internalize a little bit of John Wesley, right? All he had was a horse and man, he used it. And there are thousands upon thousands of souls that were saved because he just knew if I use my horse and I ride a couple hundred thousand miles, people will be in eternity because of what I did. And we want to internalize that a little bit. And here's the question for you. That's how we get your attention the old trick of the sound booth. <laughs> what do you have and how can you use it? Think about that legitimately. What do you have? How can you use it? Maybe a question for some of you is what do you have that you don't use? It just sits there and gathers dust. What do you have how can you use it? A few years back when my wife and I, we got into our new home, we had prayed, you know, God, we, we want this home to be like for you. 
and we'll, we'll use it any way that you would ask us. And so like very shortly after this, you know, me and a friend are sitting in the, his backyard and um, we're sitting there and we're uh, roasting marshmallows. I'm going to use this one now. Thanks. We're, we're roasting marshmallows and we, this idea comes up. He goes, hey, how about we use your house for our church's college ministry? And I was like, no, Lord, like, really? And so we were like, how about we use your house for the church's college ministry? And, and so we were like, all right, like, we're, we're going to do it. And so for a year, we decided we're just going to meet in our home. And so that's what we did. Every week, we, we invited all our college students over in our house. And sometimes it would be five. Sometimes it would be like 40. And for all the hours and the stains and the dishes and the rug doctors, we did that faithfully. And so there was this one moment in particular where, you know, college students come over to our house around like between five and six. We'd feed them and we'd hang out. We'd do a Bible study. It was great. And, there was, and people would leave usually around like 10, 11 at night. So there's one night in particular, this, everyone had left but this one college student. This guy who was kind of down and out and was kind of experiencing life on uh, diff some difficult times. I'm like cleaning up and it's like 1230. He's following me around. And he's just like chatting my ear off. And I'm just, all I'm thinking in my head is like, get out of my house. It is 1230. And it was in that moment that God spoke to me. And he said, Nate, this isn't your house. This is my house. And for all intensive purposes, I was super, super convicted that we had prayed at one point in our life, my wife and I, Lord, use us. And I got to a point in life where all I felt when I prayed to God was, I feel used by you, God. And in that moment, I just, I did not want to live that way. I didn't want to just feel used by God when I had prayed to be used by God. And I just said, that's not how I'm going to live. This isn't my stuff. This is your stuff, Lord. This is all, all, of, all of yours. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live with that mindset. This is my stuff. Accumulate it. I'm shrewd, and I'll make a little go a lot way for me. But at the moment, when it regards someone else, pretty quick to dismiss it. So Jesus goes on. And he says, well, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little is also be dishonest with much. So if, you've ever been so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Here's what Jesus says. He says, your money is a test. And this can be super uncomfortable for some people. That God has all given us a little bit. And from his perspective, whether the little bit is like a few dollars or the little bit is like a few million dollars, from God's perspective, it's all so tiny and all so little. And God has all given us a little bit of resource and a little bit of time. And how we manage what we assume we own reflects our devotion to whose it actually belongs. Say that one more time, okay? How we manage what we assume we own 
actually reflects our devotion to whose it actually belongs. Your generosity matters far beyond this life. So then Jesus goes on. And he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God knows. This is why he taught more on money than on heaven and hell itself. That he knows his chief competitor for your heart and my heart is money. Is your possessions and the security that it represents. God says, I know your heart, and you have to choose. It's either me or this. He knows who he's in competition with. And when you begin to view your money and your possessions and your wealth and your resource the way God does, well, then it actually frees you to serve God with your whole heart. Because your money and how you manage that and how you steward your resources and all your possessions It's a reflection of really whose you are. Do you belong to God or do you belong to your money? So the Pharisees, this is what it says in verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard this and they were sneering at Jesus, right? They were walking like, oh my gosh, we should have walked away after the sinner's bit, right? On the lost coin, like get out of town, you know, and they're walking away. They're sneering at Jesus. And so this is what he says as they're walking away. He says, "Uh, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. He says you can justify to the other people all day long that you can't be generous because of this reason or you can't do this because of that reason or or your house is this, your car is that, right? Whatever it is, you can justify to others all day long, but God actually knows your heart. Because here's the thing is that generosity is not a financial issue. Generosity almost has nothing to do with our finances. It has everything to do with our heart. You want to know why I know this? Because rich people are not generous. Because you probably know, you know this as well, poor people, they're not generous. Generous people are generous. And you know some rich people, right, wealthy people, who are not generous at all. And you probably know some who are. And you also probably know some poor people who would not give you a fly off their own back. But you probably also know some some people who are impoverished that would give you everything. And they would be generous with you with everything. So here's the thing. It's generous people who are generous. Generosity has almost nothing to do with finances. And what Jesus knows and what God knows is it has everything to do with your heart. Jesus knows your heart. He knows my heart. And we can justify all day long why we don't, why we can't, why we wouldn't, why this, why that. But God knows your heart. Your wealth and your possessions, it's a tool. It's a test. And it reflects who you actually belong to. So here's the thing. We're going to close on this last thought. We have a limited amount of time on this earth. And we have a limited amount of resource, all of us. And everything that I have is a tool. And God is watching how much of that we will actually be willing to give up so that other people might be in heaven one day. 
And here's the thing, when you get to the end of your life, I know by talking to people who have been with a lot of people who have passed, that when you get to the end of your life, you will not wish you spent more. Here's the other thing I know, is that you will run out of time before you run out of your money. You'll run out of time before you run out of your possessions, your wealth, and your money. And that there is room for all of us in this here, all of us to be more trustworthy with our time, with our possessions, and with our money. And that if we can see the world the way God sees it, that could be like an aha. If we see our money and our wealth as God sees it, that could be an aha, that I get it now. Everything I have is not for me. God sees our money, our wealth as a tool for others. And that it was all his to begin with. And that other people could benefit greatly off of the little bit of time, the little bit of resource that we have. Let's pray. God, we thank you today, Lord. Lord, I just pray that God, we would trust you. Lord, that this is not about a church who needs money. Lord, this is about your heart for humanity, for every single person. God, will we gain a healthy perspective of your desire to love all of humanity, your desire to be with all of them. God, I want to trust you today. Thank you for who you are. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Nate. Great word of challenge to us, isn't it? How can I enter into this week and think about my time, my resource, my money, whatever it is, and say, how can I impact someone else's eternity because of that. Hey, uh, you probably received a letter from me about uh, somebody we'll be sending out soon. Pastor Zach Mead has uh, taken a new role in Arizona. Uh, Zach is our current worship arts uh, director, uh, pastor here at the church. And uh, so be praying for him and be praying for Cassie and, and his family as they are thinking about that going to happen in, within the next month. And uh, so that obviously for me is both very sad and super exciting and happy as we continue to develop and release leaders into God's kingdom. It's one of the callings on our church, and we've done it many, many times. And God sees us through it every single time that we've done it. So we are excited for them and for what God has for them in Arizona in their new calling. Uh, in the meantime, we are going to be praying and trusting God for the next steps here. We have this uh, wonderful team, a big team of talented people. And so we, uh, we have a lot of great people that we're able to count on during our transition, as well as Pastor Nate and Pastor Ryan. Both have experience in music and tech and all the various things that uh, will shepherd us through as interim until we find that next person or people that God wants to bring on to our staff team to, to shepherd us forward in this. So exciting times, need you to be praying. God is faithful. He's always been faithful to us. And I know that he will be again. So let's stand up together.
If you need prayer, there'll be people right over here to pray with you. If you would uh, like to kind of do the first connect with me for a few moments, I'll be right over there underneath that monitor. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week.